baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Sunday Take for December 3rd, 2023. A little shout out. It would have been my mother's 94th birthday. Just a thought this Sunday morning. I am uh, happy to be here and uh, we have a great show for you this week. You know, it it it's starting to feel like all the talk is about 2024. We'll do a 2023 review show at some point, but in all reality, I think a lot of folks in politics and the legislature and elections are looking to next year. So that's a lot of what we'll talk about today. We will talk to Peter Callahan from MinPost and Kirk Schneiderwin from the Minnesota School Boards Association. A couple of things just to think about in this week behind uh you know, the divide within the DFL, and that will be the subject of the take. The other thing to look ahead to this coming week is the state budget forecast, which will be under 6 or $7 billion, but still significant and something that the legislature will battle over. Before we take the next break, here's a message from Minnesota Corn. You know, look, the fields may be plowed and some of them are covered with snow but the reality is that minnesota corn farmers are already planning for a sustainable future they're thinking about next summer between the drought and weather there were some parts of the state that had a really tough summer but that's farming farmers are always focused on the future and there's a endless optimism about how to make next year better than this, just like they work hard and tirelessly how to make the land and the environment better for the future. Whether it's clean fuels or sustainable water practices, it's Minnesota corn farmers that are leading the way in agriculture and leading the country as corn farmers. Their donations to the university, their constant support of research, and their practices. 99% of Minnesota farms are run by families. And that means Minnesota corn families are amongst them leading the way for a sustainable future. To learn more, visit minnesotacornmncorn.org. When we come back, Peter Callahan from MinPost. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Sunday Take. My first guest this week is Peter Callahan from MinPost. Kind of a regular check-in, but MinPost and Peter had some news and some thoughts and some polls this week. And 
they kind of capture uh, where Minnesota's at and start to preview 2024 and what to watch for. Peter, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, hey, so let's just start. I mean, there's been scuttlebutt and buzz, and it's kind of been under the radar about the idea of whether or not Democrats would put constitutional amendments on the ballot next year as a strategy to drive turnout and energize the base. First and foremost, front and center has been about abortion. Uh, and then secondly is kind of a human rights amendment. Minpo's polled about those, but you've also talked to legislative leaders. What are you hearing? Um, a lot of mixed views as to whether it would be good strategy to put those, uh, either of those. And then there's a twist where there's a combination where you, they combine into one uh, equal rights amendment that includes language that would protect reproductive rights. That's what New York is putting on the ballot in 2024 as a constitutional amendment. Um, so that is in play as well. I just think they are leery of it on a number of fronts. One, uh, they have um, codified uh, probably the most uh, sweeping abortion rights uh, of any state uh, into law in Minnesota. Um, I think that's what kind of drove down a little bit our poll results. We had 55% saying they would support a constitutional amendment, but we prefaced the question by saying they did this during session. I think you yeah. had certain people going, well, if it's already in statute, maybe that doesn't make sense. So that number of 55 was kind of low compared to when we polled just strictly on support for uh, the right to an abortion. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment has... Uh, also has implications that could introduce transgender politics into the 2024 election because there is language for sexual orientation, sexual expression. Um, and I think there's some people who are nervous about introducing that issue into the election. And finally, they're expensive. Um, yeah. Millions of dollars you would have to spend, even if you think you're going to win, because you do have to educate, you do have to get get people to vote on that issue because you can defeat a constitutional amendment by just not voting because you need a majority of those who voted in that election. So there's leery, uh, a lot of people who are leery of it. Uh, leadership seemed very equivocal. Uh, whenever they give you the, we need to talk about this in caucus answer. Yep. Um, that means that they uh, don't know that it's a good idea. So uh, our poll showed that we thought it would, the poll results thought they would pass. Um, but, but then, but poll results thought the marriage amendment was going to pass in 2012 as well. Yeah, no, obviously you, that's why we vote. That's why you have the election. Um, but on the abortion one, obviously uh, pro-choice advocates have been successful in other states. Um, but you juxtapose that against where we're at in Minnesota. It would also seem that resources um, coming to Minnesota when Minnesota is protected uh, probably isn't going to change anytime soon with Governor Walls and a DFL Senate or House. Um, and and I think Minnesota Republicans have kind of learned that this probably isn't a winning issue after the 2022 governor's race. Um, I think, do you think Democrats want to spend their resources in other ways to try to, you know, maintain the House and, um, you know, find other fights to have in the state? Well, yes, for sure. They would like to use their money uh, as best they could, but there's still an argument to be made. And I'll, I'll qualify this uh, when I'm finished. 
um, that you drive turnout, that if you have that on the ballot, that in and of itself brings out voters who might not otherwise <clears throat> have voted next year. Uh, the so so it it gives you a twofer. You're you're spending money on this thing that you believe in as a policy issue, uh, but it could drive voters to the poll. Ken Martin, the chair of the state uh, party, Democratic Party, said, uh, "Listen, abortion is going to be on the ballot either way. If it's Trump right. or if it's Nikki Haley or whoever, it's going to be on the ballot." And um, uh, Chris Chap, who's a professor at Saint Olaf, who I asked to look at the results, said you're probably reaching the ceiling of of what your potential turnout is. This is a presidential year next year. It's It, it would be hard to argue that there are folks who really care about abortion, um, but would only turn out next year if abortion, if an abortion measure was on the ballot. So I think the, the, the thinking is that there really isn't a voter turnout element in the state of Minnesota, uh, except for the other side. I mean, you could inadvertently have the measure on where you've hit your ceiling of vote, but there are uh, uh, sideline sitters on the Republican side who might turn out. Um, it seems obvious that you would put it on the ballot if it's going to pass. These are things you believe in. You have constituency groups that very, very much want some of these protections. Um, but the politics behind it is what's holding the back. I think that um, I, I think that's well said. And, and one of the things is turnout next year. My, my guest is Peter Callahan. He's from MinPost. He covers the state capitol uh, and all things Minnesota politics. Uh, there is worry on the Democratic side about energy and turnout next year, especially amongst younger voters. One of the other amendments that you guys pulled on was kind of equal rights for all, which the ERA movement, which is loud in Minnesota and uh, has tried to get this equal rights amendment on the ballot for um, over a decade. Um, they they might want a different amendment other than abortion, but that's complicated as well, right? Yeah, I mean, they, there's arguments that could be made that the language that's there right now, and it was made in other states, and there's litigation in other states, that an equal rights amendment uh, should protect uh, a woman's right uh, to choose and a woman's right to pr health care privacy. Um, they would, it, it's likely, and the ERA backers are for this, to put explicit language in a single equal rights amendment that would cover reproductive rights. Um, so, so they seem willing to do that. I mean, it's the, it's really the abortion uh, rights advocates who are concerned about it and who frankly have bigger problems in other states in the mid, in the upper Midwest where things are not going as well for abortion uh, rights advocates as they are in Minnesota. So I think in that case, it's a resource issue uh, in, uh, but again, you've got people, you, the Equal Rights Amendment has been around on the federal level and in the state level for yeah. decades and decades. And uh, uh, Betty Foliard, who is sort of the uh, ERA Minnesota person, said, you know, I've been hearing for this message for years that now is not the time. Now is not the time to do this. And she says, and every time the messenger is the same, white men. So Betty is willing to... Uh, uh, put some pressure, I think, on uh, leadership that, you know, who are they to tell women when is the right time and what is the right strategy to uh, put their uh, rights in the state constitution? Well, not to mention that um, 
within the caucuses and uh this is going to be uh debated too and and the real question is you know some of the the the, the legislators who may not care whether it's pragmatic may not care whether it's there and how much pressure they put on leadership to try to get this done uh and we saw the politics of the senate uh in full form this week um the house is on the ballot they're going to be motivated the senate you know, might want to sit this one out since their caucus has got other issues to navigate right now. Yeah, it's the Senate is interesting. And and do remind me that we should talk about the fact that this very language that we pulled on that included the uh, uh, language that might be considered protective of transgender people passed bipartisan on a bipartisan vote at the end of session last year with six Republicans voting yes to put that language on the ballot. And they are what you would nowadays consider, you know, sort of the moderate Republicans, uh, Senator Coleman, Housley, uh, Senator Miller, um, Senator Pratt, uh, people like that who yeah. were willing to vote to put that on the ballot. They didn't need them. It only takes a majority vote. But that was interesting that they were uh, willing to do that. I think it. I think if you brought it to the floor, it would have to pass both chambers. Uh, if leadership does not want it there, then they need to figure out a way to not bring it to a vote. Uh, other poll stuff coming next week, uh, not to reveal the numbers, but anything else that uh, you guys tested? Yeah, we. Um, I'm going to have something next week. We asked people about the 2023 legislative session and their views on the results. Uh, we did you know, approval on the governor, uh, job performance on the governor. Um, we asked about the surplus, and I'll break the news here. People wanted more money back in in tax cuts and rebates uh, than than they think they got. <clears throat> um, but the other thing this past week that I thought was interesting was the presidential poll, which ended up with sort of the raw aggregate number of 45% Biden, 42% Trump. But the interesting thing in that I thought was in the crosstabs, because a large percentage of the not sure were DFL identified and Biden voters from yep. 2020. Uh, so they are sideline sitters for the time being. But again, Professor Chap said, if you get to an election, those people are coming home. He thought he didn't think they were going to sit out of an election like this. So so he thought those numbers were stronger. And so did our pollster, Ben Greenfield. He thought that the polls were uh, those poll numbers were better for Biden than you might think when you look at 45, 42. Well, and, if, and as I wrote, I mean, if you look at Minnesota historically, if you look at where Republicans are going to have to spend money, where Democrats are going to have to spend money, it's a big stretch to get Minnesota into a top tier state one way or another for either side. And we know Republicans challenges with resources uh, in this state and their their focus is going to be on the Minnesota House, uh, no matter what. Um, and I think you're right. If it is Biden versus Trump, uh reluctant Democrats are not going to suddenly support Donald Trump. I've, I just keep th- coming back to energy. And I, the more Democrats I talk to, and, and, and when you look at turnout in presidential years in Minnesota, there's a hundred to 200,000 vote uh, bump that Republicans get. And there's a up to 300,000 vote bump that uh, Democrats get. And I think Democrats are worried if they can get the kind of energy and turnout they got in 2020 uh, back. And and does that mean they're down 100 or 150? And does that put the state in play? 
Uh, probably not, but it certainly puts those legislative seats in play. And I, I think that's what they're worried about. Last topic. What's the latest on cannabis? You wrote about it this last week. It's the story that keeps giving stories. Uh, what's the latest? Well, we uh, th- th- there's so much that goes on in this issue that just either goes over the uh, under the radar or over my head. But uh, <laughs> a month, a m- last month, um, Chris Tolk, who's the uh, running the medical marijuana program and was given the jurisdiction over the hemp edibles and beverages uh regulation was on a national podcast and they were talking about various regulatory type things and she said you know what i don't have jurisdiction to check whether that raw cannabis flower for sale at that hemp store is legally cannabis meaning uh uh 0.3 thc concentrations or illegal marijuana and i can't i don't have any jurisdiction on that and it was a loophole in the bill because they thought they were giving her the edibles market uh, and you and in that case, it has to be something that is processed from hemp. It didn't give her the authority to look at raw cannabis flower because, frankly, that wasn't really sold. It, it, there, there is some people who will smoke uh, hemp for the CBD uh, content of that, uh, but there isn't enough THC in, in legally defined hemp to produce an intoxicating effect. So nobody thought that they would need to hand that jurisdiction to someone. Now, it's still illegal in the state of Minnesota to sell marijuana. Um, Even though it's legal, even though using it is legal, you can't sell it until you get a license in a year and a half. So a cop could go in and and say, I think you're selling illegal marijuana here, confiscate it, test it, charge. But they're just not going to do that in this atmosphere, in this thing. They're just, we're between this and that, and no one's going to do it. So Chris says that her inspector goes into places, sees, you know, raw cannabis flower for sale and says, what's that? And they go, oh, that's him. And he has no way of saying, well, I'm going to take this and check it. So it was a loophole. It wasn't really a loophole. It was just something they didn't think of as they were doing a 300 page bill and handing uh, the medical cannabis folks this jurisdiction with temporary rules and and guidance. So it's just kind of another of the things in this complicated bill that uh, slipped through. Senator Lindsey Port just said quickly, I wasn't aware of this issue. We'll take a look at it. If it needs to be fixed, it'll be on the list of things they will do when they convene in February. And on Wednesday, we're going to get the budget forecast. Looks like we'll have a surplus. What's the Peter Callahan over under on what the number is? Well, the collections have been been where they really want them to be, which is sort of flat, slightly yeah. up, but sort of flat. That's where forecasters want uh, collections to be. They don't want to miss by billions of dollars. That doesn't help anyone. Right. So the collections have been close close enough to spot on um you know i think there will be my my guess from that is there will be some uh additional surplus um but you know we're probably in the couple billion dollar range not the 19 billion dollar range that's my sense too peter callahan thanks for joining me on sunday tech good to talk to you when we come back school boards what do they want this legislative session I'm Blaise Olson on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. The next guest this week is Kurt Schneiderwinch. He is uh, the leader of Minnesota School Board Association. I was with 
members of his group Friday night from all across the state as they discussed and uh, and deliberated the policies that they are looking for as school board members. It's a very diverse group, both geographically and politically. And if you think about it, as I talk to them, you know, the one of the most impactful elected official positions in Minnesota, uh, overseeing, governing uh, our public schools. So, Kirk, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Um, so explain, you know, it wasn't a big convention. It was just a policy uh, meeting. Uh, but the your members, the school board members, come together and discuss the issues of the day. What are the top issues that school board members across Minnesota are, are worried about? Right. Well, I will say, boys, I mean, one of the things that you're right, it was our delegate assembly that um, we have about 120 school board reps from all parts of the state. Uh, and I think that provides a great deal of value um, to our positions because we're taking input from all different shapes and sizes of school districts in our state. And then that gives us uh, a, a pretty good marching order on what to go forward on. Um, and we do that every year. And so that this year was, um, was a good one as well. And so I think, Always, when you're talking to school board members and school districts, they're always going to be um, focused on finance. And I think one of the things that we saw come out of the delegate assembly this year was about expanding our long-term facility maintenance dollars to, to use those in a broader way, more flexibility at the local level rather than being limited to what um, it says in state statute. So that was probably a big finance piece. Um, I think the other piece is around looking at workforce shortage. Um, that we, the, the group approved a, a position on um, a, a kind of a teacher apprenticeship model that um, is, is a little bit different than the traditional grow your own loan forgiveness um, that would get those folks into the workforce or into the teaching force uh, sooner and more practical experience. So those were two big things. And I think the great thing is um, as well that there's always um, it's always a good perspective for our for the MSPA staff and others to hear how important the local community and local decision making and local flexibility is to these folks. Um, while they're in the seat um, making decisions for their community, they want to be able to make the decisions that are best for their students and their communities, and they want to have flexibility in that. You know, I think that, um, I mean, that lines up with other macro issues that we hear about, but workforce in particular, right? Workforce is an issue in healthcare. It's a It's an issue in hospitality. Uh, it, it's in other places. Just a couple of thoughts, if you could share them. How does how do does your group and your members now work with you know other players in education and the legislature to to kind of frame up some of the solutions on workforce? Because obviously that's not easy, and it can create tension with other groups. 
Right. And you're, you're right. I mean, I think that the challenging part with the workforce shortage is like everybody's feeling it. You highlighted that. And so every sector of our society or economy is whether you're in hospitality or ag or uh, manufacturing, we're in the K-12 space, public education, and we're looking for that as well, looking for um, ways to recruit and retain um, not only teachers, but also bus drivers, paraprofessionals, support work. Um, and so we have been, um, and, and our boards who are kind of the hiring authority for our school district, it's really important that um, we have, you know, a robust number of people to select from. But I think one of the things you alluded to is how do you work with other groups? And I think that we all recognize, all of those in the K-12 space recognize that. And whether we look at licensure changes um, for more flexibility, we look at expanded licensure options um, instead of having very prescriptive licensure uh, requirements. Um, we also know that I think this apprenticeship model um, may offer a great opportunity for young teachers who want to get into the business and also get compensated while they're going through kind of an apprenticeship model, very similar to other apprenticeship models. So I think our K-12 folks understand the workforce challenges and we're trying to work together, row in the same direction uh, and, and making it right for not only the employees, but for also our school districts. And uh, my guest is Kirk Schneiderway and he's with the Minnesota School Board Association. Kirk, uh, uh, you talk about local autonomy, local flexibility. There was clearly a theme when I joined your group Friday about kind of the way in which greater Minnesota feels about the Metro Metro feels about greater Minnesota, not, not in your traditional political divide, but the, the challenges on, on some issues are the same, but on, on some issues, they're very different. Does the, do you, is it, is it your experience that the legislature understands the different challenges based on where you are in the state, whether it's labor force or enrollment or facilities? Yeah, I think they do. I think that um, our, I think that's the great thing about a, a statewide organization in this event is that we're able to bring, um, bring folks from our our small greater Minnesota districts and our metro um, and urban school districts to talk about these issues. And I think when we are able to go to the legislature and say, "Hey, we ha- this is representative. This position." on a teacher apprenticeship or long-term facility maintenance is has been supported by our membership um that's a that's a pretty powerful position to say wait even your small greater minnesota ones and your large metro districts agree on this and so that is helpful for us to be able to lay that out for them to understand no this is a statewide school district and you are a statewide legislator um, and this is what our we're looking for so it's a powerful way for us to uh, deliver that message to uh, Minnesota state legislature as we wrap here Kirk um, running for office 
is becoming more challenging. Are you seeing um, the the candidates, the the folks who are uh, serving on school boards, uh, having the challenges that maybe they did two or three years ago, or have things gotten a little better? Um, I would say the 2023 election cycle, where we only had about probably 50 election, 50 school board elections. Um, is um, was probably in in my com- conversations with those folks who ran um, have never. Uh, I would say it's a different experience for them than they were in the past. So I think there's more fundraising. I think there there needs to be a conscious effort about getting you know starting a, a campaign committee or whatever it is to be able to support you and help you. Um, do I? think that that is the direction we should be going in a nonpartisan seat that represents their community and their students and and taxpayers. I don't think it should be a partisan issue, but it is turning into that. And I think our school board members are trying to navigate what that looks like. And I think 2024 is probably going to be a better indicator uh, when all of the other issues are going to be on the ballot as well. Kirk, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. I know we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Take care. When we come back, the take this week in what else we got to watch in this upcoming legislative session. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Before we get to the take, another message from Minnesota Corn. You look at the future and you see the need for sustainability in almost every industry. Agriculture is no exception, and Minnesota corn growers are the leaders. Whether it's at harvest, whether it's at planting, whether it's in water usage, they are working hard to ensure farming is strong throughout Minnesota to the future. You see, if their land is not healthy, if the communities are not healthy, farmers are the first ones to struggle, and therefore they continue to invest and make sure they put forth sustainable ideas, sustainable practices, whether it's funding research at the U or innovating in biofuels for cleaner airs, it is the corn farmers that are fighting for you. Learn more about Minnesota Corn's sustainable future at mncorn.org. Hey, look, this week's take is really about the divide that we continue to see within the Democratic Party. Locally, it played out this week in the Minnesota Senate between Senator Omar Fateh, a DSA member, and Ron Latz, a longtime DFLer. It's playing out about Israel and Palestine, but it's deeper than that. And the challenges of Israel and Palestine are deeper than the one-vote majority Democrats have in the Senate in Minnesota. You see, the divide is just the latest headwind for Democrats in the presidential race. Let me explain how. You see, younger voters have been key to Democratic victories, especially in 2020, especially in 2012 and 2008. And they may not be 
as energized by Joe Biden, and they may further be turned off by Democrats' divide on Israel and Palestine. You see, there is a generational rift, not just amongst Democrats, but about everyone in America. Younger voters are more supportive of Palestine than older voters are supportive of Israel. So you take that issue and then the impact, and it could de-energize a certain key constituents for votes. I gave the first big preview of next year this week, and the themes for next year are variables, volatility, and voting. In that order, the variables and the volatility that we know will come about are real. How we navigate them isn't, but one to watch is this challenge that Democrats have with younger voters that's emerging. It's growing. Now, if it's Trump versus Biden, maybe they come back. We're 11 months away, but maybe they don't. And maybe we need to make sure that we watch this. Why does that matter in Minnesota? Well, it matters because I don't think the presidential race is in play here, but if there are is lower turnout, it could have an impact on those House races. And we know the thing that everyone is watching next year is the battle for the Minnesota House. It's the Republicans' one chance to take back some control of Democratic power and the business community and others are going to throw millions of dollars at trying to do that. And so in statewide races that are run won by tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of races in local races that can be 200 to 400 votes. And that indeed could turn off and put legislative seats in jeopardy for Democrats. That's an early preview of another thing to watch in 2024. I will be back with Vanita Monday through Thursday at 620. Sunday Take will be here next week. And as always, you can follow us at fluence-newsletters.com. Sign up for the Morning Take or any of our newsletters. I'm Blois. See you next week. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.